So we are in Made New, and we're on the subject of what we're calling the book. Last cycle of teaching was the beginning, where we talked about what it was to be saved and what it was to know God. We've moved on from that, and now we're talking about the Bible, the book, and why that is the foundation of our Christian faith. And I need to make a statement about that right now. The Bible has to become the center and the foundation of what generates your faith. Because at any given time, we have a ton of emotions, a ton of thoughts, and dare I say, even other voices speaking to us. Non-human voices in the form of demonic entities, human voices in the form of confused people, internal voices in the form of fears and struggles and strain and human reasoning that always seeks to protect itself or condemn itself. And the thing is, is that the Word of God was laid in the earth to become the foundation and the guide and the reference point of who God is and what He is and how He speaks and to determine how we should live. I cannot say this strong enough. The Bible has to become the authority in our lives that determines who God is and who we are in God and what our relationship with God looks like. So what you will find if you walk around Christianity very much, you will see that people manufacture a version of God out of their own mind, out of their own intention, out of their own will, out of their own history, rather than who the Bible says he is. How many of you ever heard the verse, God helps those who help themselves? Yeah, that's not a verse in the Bible at all. Cleanliness is next to godliness, the Bible says, right? No, the Bible doesn't say that. All these things are passed around as if they're scriptures, and they're not at all. They sound good, but they're things that man made up and act like that's the Word of God. And you say, well, that's kind of funny. Well, but the thing is, is though, as you go from people group to people group, you run into all kinds of man-made religions and ideas about God and reference points about God that he never created that he never suggested, but men made up and then added to the Scripture. The problem with the day that Jesus came, and you've got to see this in the Bible, the day that Jesus came and spoke to the earth, there were a group of religious people that should have been ready for him, but instead they were so confused by their own traditions and by their own take on what was known as the Law of Moses, they had added so much to it by the time Jesus showed up, they didn't have a clue what God said or who God was. So that when Jesus appeared, who was God, he says, you search the scriptures. He says, you should read them and see that they speak of me. That if you'd have known my father, you'd have known me. Why do you search the scriptures and you can't recognize I'm he? You can't recognize me because you don't know God. And what you know about the scriptures is so confused, you can't see him there. Because if you could, you would recognize me. And he told them, you have no idea what the Bible says. And these were the religious leaders that were supposed to be the most educated lot in their day that should be able to tell people what was going on, and that's the last thing they could do. He said, in fact, you are so ignorant of the Scripture, you are blind guides, and you're leading others into a pit. He goes, not only do you not find the door into the things of God, but you make sure all who follow you don't find it either. This is how blind they were to the truth of God's Word. (coughs) If they were blind then, we can be blind now and make up versions of the Bible that aren't even true. 
one of the first things you have to do to have a false religion is to create your own version of the Bible and very neatly take stuff out and add stuff to it. The Jehovah Witnesses very conveniently rearranged the Bible, changed a bunch of words to fit their doctrine, which is a deception and a lie from hell. Mormons conveniently created yet another text and have rearranged things in such a way to fit their doctrine, which is also a lie from hell. Isn't it interesting, one of the fundamental things people have to do is rework the Scripture in order to enforce their ideas. And so the child of God has to do something else. We as the people of God need to pick up the Bible simply as it is written and begin to know it, begin to study it, begin to read it, and let it generate our reality. I want to say this. The Bible has to become the authority of who God is, and it has to become the authority of who God is to us and in us. And if it cannot be explained by the Scripture, it can't be of God. And I'm not talking about very interesting, far-off, esoteric discussions. I'm talking about very simple black ink on white page. It has to become authority. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks of inspiration. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, and I think everyone here would do well to memorize this. There's a lot of famous 316s in the Word of God. You've ever heard of John 316? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that ever believes in Him, will not perish, but have eternal life. This is another one of those 316 verses. 2 Timothy 316 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. Look at that statement. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, what that means is that God breathed on men and caused them to receive the grace of God and the Spirit of God, the mind of God, and the power of God to write the Bible. So whenever people say, ah, the Bible's flawed, and it was written by men, and it's been lost in translation, I just want to say that is not true. This is not the kind of Bible study tonight where I can take you through all the reasons why that's not true. That would take time to explain, but just in terms of how it agrees with itself, it is in such perfect unity, it's impossible that it was flawed and lost through the agency of man. Just the amount of scriptures that prophesied the coming of Jesus, how he would come, what he would do when he came, how he would die, and what would happen after he died, the fulfillment of that alone is impossible to have replicated. You got to realize those first prophecies start getting laid out in written form 1,200 years before his arrival. So how in the world could he just show up and fulfill hundreds of prophecies written over a thousand years, well, 800 years, if you take the silent era of 400 years from Malachi to the time of Christ, 1,200 years B.C. for Moses' appearance who starts writing the Pentateuch, so you roughly have 800 years if you followed that. So over 800 years, the Old Testament books were written There is no way a man could just show up 400 years later and fulfill an 800-year catalog of Scripture. That, in that minutia, in that accuracy, that's just one thing. The Bible was not lost in translation. Instead, God moved upon men and inspired them to write down the words he was telling them. 
So there are two main words used by theologians to define inspiration. Verbal means every word in the original language is inspired by God. Why would we believe this? Plenary means the whole Bible is inspired. Let's say it. The whole Bible is inspired. This is very important because the inspiration extends to concepts, numbers, names, arrangements of books, everything that makes up the scriptures in the original writings. Psalm 119 verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now this next point we really have to be very clear on. The Bible does not contain the word of God. It is the word of God. Now, what happens when we say the Bible merely contains some words from God, but actually the whole thing is not the word of God? This is very convenient right now. It's a wind of doctrine that constantly finds its surface in the earth coming back around that the Scripture was mostly of God, but it contains some flaws through that lost, through the agency of man business. The Bible just contains some words from God, but not all of them are from God, you see. Okay, here's the fundamental problem to cut to the chase. Whenever we take that ability, who gets to be in charge then of determining which ones are from God and which ones are not? Okay, so if some of the words are merely words about God, but not the Word of God, but some of them are the Word of God, this is a very convenient arrangement to create a religion and a philosophy that suits us nicely. Is this going on right now? Oh, yeah, there are all kinds of moral debates going on in Christendom right now, whole denominations are dividing over these issues, over moral issues. They're dividing, splitting in half. People are leaving churches, joining churches, based on moral arguments saying that the Bible didn't really mean that. Here's another very popular one. The Bible is to be interpreted in the era you live in, not the era it was written in. So the Bible, in order to become relevant... For the day we live in, we have to have a fresh interpretation of it to suit the society of our present hour. Okay, the problem with that is, then it's not inspired, you're inspired. Yeah, and the thing is, is that there's no way that you lived 800 years to write enough prophecies to declare the fulfillment of the Messiah. So that we are not living in that stature. And by the way, no more scriptures being written. The last scriptures were finished at the end of the apostolic age with the book of Revelation from the writer of the Gospel of John, John the Disciple. And at the end of that, there was no more Scripture being written. That inspiration ended. But we're not being re-inspired to come back and look at the book and change it around and take books out, add things into it, and rearrange it to fit our current social desire or design. The question asked here, what standard would we use to judge the Scripture then to determine the inspired parts? Well, depending on your political standards your cultural standards, your religious standards, non-religious standards, all of a sudden, this turns loose a big mess. But here's the thing. Lest we become concerned that we're just eating dogma here and something's being put upon us that we don't want, I would encourage you to pick this book up and read it yourself and see the power in it and to see the wisdom of God in it and let it work within you. When I came to the Lord, many of you could tell the story. I didn't have all these arguments in my heart. I said, in order to serve Jesus and to know him, the first thing I have to do is I have to embrace 
the validity of the scripture, and the word we use is without error or inerrant. We had to take on an inerrant view that the Bible is not flawed with a bunch of errors. Why is this important? If I think it's full of flaws and errors, how motivated am I going to be to pick it up? Right? How willing will I be to trust my own mind and my own ideas and just become my own source of counsel? But the child of God who comes to the Lord and believes that the Bible is authoritative and without error lets the Scripture rearrange their motives, lets the Scripture rearrange their thinking, lets the Scripture deal with the unresolved issues in their lives. The Scripture can deal with you in ways that people never could. If we would actually read it and let it work within us, the Scripture will speak to us and minister to us and convince us of God's ways in words that humans can't. Because the Bible says that God is looking over His Word to perform it. When I receive the authority of the Scripture, even when it challenges me in the ways I don't want to be challenged, and challenges my convenience, and works against my fleshly desire, I have to accept that. And then you will find yourself in this place. You'll be living your life, and the Holy Spirit will remind you of scriptures. And he will speak to you the word of God. And you'll be standing in line somewhere and doing something. And the next thing you know, the same inspiration that breathed upon men to write those words reminds you that those are God's words and that you should pay attention to them. Has that happened to anybody in here? Where you were doing something, you were in the middle of something, and all of a sudden God knocked on the door of your heart and said, "Uh, do you remember what I said in my word? Has that happened to anyone here? Scriptures you didn't even know you knew. But God knew you knew, right? And he speaks to you and says, my reference point for who I am is in my word. And if you would know that, I will give you power. The word of God will put power in your heart. Whenever Jesus was in the wilderness, how he handled the devil was through the authority of the word of God. Think about that for a moment. How often are we going to be confronted by evil things and demonic things? I don't want to confront it with my emotion or my attitude. I want to be like Jesus and be able to say, this is what the Word of God says. And demand that demonic power submit to that. And the demonic power will not submit to it coming out of your mouth until you have submitted to it in your heart. Demonic power will not submit to you quoting the Scripture until you have submitted your own heart to the Scripture. I have been in a lot of moments where we were doing deliverance in 35 years of walking with God. That means casting demon spirits out of human beings. Non-human entities living in and controlling human beings to their demise. And casting that out of people and commanding demonic power to let people go. The problem was when people were in the room that hadn't submitted their heart to the Scripture and let the Scripture deal with their character, they didn't have the power to confront those evil things. And those evil things end up leaping on these people and dealing with them. If you ever read the book of Acts and the sons of Sceva, they went around trying to do deliverance in a way that they didn't even know God enough to serve him themselves, let alone set anyone else free. The scripture hadn't governed them, so they didn't have the power of it to deal with something else. And instead, the demonic spirit and the man that they were trying to do deliverance on leapt on them and sent them all out of the house naked. 
You should read the story. It's very fascinating. I have been in moments where demonic power stood down Christians because the Scripture hadn't been resolved in them yet. Had they submitted to the Word of God and had power in their own heart, they could have set someone else free. But they're still over here working around what they even think about the Bible. They didn't have any business being in this. And my friend, if we're going to be Christians, we need to be in the business of setting people free. And we cannot be in the business of setting people free until we have authority. And we will not have authority until the Word of God has become our authority. Amen? Because it's authority. It's authorized. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away before one stroke of one letter fails. It's powerful. So the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's the final authority on every subject for all eternity. I just want to say it again. The word of God is the final authority on every subject for all eternity. Let those words sink in our heart. The word of God is the final authority for every subject in eternity. Every subject. Why is that important? Well, here's the thing. We're all going to die. We're all going to leave this planet. We're going to be gone. And when we leave here, we're going to stand before God. And God is not going to talk about what was on the news or what was on Instagram or Facebook or whatever we're looking at right now on our phones. He is going to talk to us about what his word said and how we lived in comparison to it because it's the final authority. I tremble at that idea. I tremble at that revelation to think that I'm going to stand before God and the word of God is going to measure my life. The reason I should know what the Bible says now, it's kind of like preparation for a test. It's getting ready for eternity. God has forgiven me for my sins, but he will reward me according to my life. And the word of God is going to determine that. The word of God is authority in eternity. I watch pundits and all these people debate and argue, and I think, you'll all be dead soon, and you're going to find out what this is all about. I see these great personalities speaking such large words, and what they are sure is true that it has nothing to do with the Scripture or a really warped take on it. And I'm thinking, you just keep saying that because in a few short years, you'll be off this planet and you will answer for every word spoken that was idle. And everything you said against God and God's Word, you will be judged for it. And you will find out how truly wrong you have always been and then you will be truly sorry forever that you were because you refuted and refused the authority of God's Word. I know this is kind of heavy, but here's the thing, though. We're talking about something that was inserted into the earth over several hundred years, 66 books, several writers, several cultures. God took painstaking care throughout human history to see to it that thousands of years later, you have the Word of God in your hands. And to think, it's just an app on my smartphone. Oh, no, 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 no. We need to put the Word of God in right perspective here because it's an authority that God inserted into the world to describe who He is. The Bible is the final authority guiding what we believe and what to do. Jesus said, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle 
will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot allow anything that opposes God's word to rule our thinking or our actions. Listen to that statement. We cannot allow things in our life willfully that oppose the word of God and think that God is going to be good with that. So I have a right to be bitter towards people. The Bible says you do not, under any circumstances, have the right whatsoever, ever, ever, ever on this green earth at any given moment of your life to be bitter towards anyone. The Bible affords no right for that anywhere in the Scripture. The final authority on bitterness is you cannot have it. And if you have it, it will defile you and everyone around you, and then you will answer for it in eternity. That's the Scripture. The Bible says that we do not have the right to carry judgments in our heart on people and judge them as if we sit in the seat of God to pronounce these judgments on them. There is no room for that in the Word of God. The Word of God has to govern our heart and our thinking. I could be very tempted to be bitter at people and to have unforgiveness towards people until I remember the Scripture, and I realize that if I hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness towards people, I will not be forgiven. Jesus said that. You ever find yourself tempted to be bitter? The Word of God has to step in and rule your action, has to rule your words, and has to rule your heart and rule your thinking. There have been times in my life where I've been tempted to be very bitter. I'm very angry and have unforgiveness towards people until I remember the Scripture that said, there's no room allotted for you to do that in my Word anywhere. I would go to the prayer closet, and I would say, God, I forgive. It kills me to do it, but I forgive. I surrender bitterness. I refuse to judge these people. I refuse to live in bitterness. I refuse to hold on to unforgiveness. Who taught me that? The Word of God did. So we're going to go ahead for the remaining time and ask these questions. What does the Bible's authority mean to your life? That means when you get up tomorrow, is the Word of God directing and determining who you are and what you're doing? Or is it something you listen to on Sunday and don't think much about? The second question is, does the Bible contain the Word of God, or is it the Word of God, and what is the difference? I think that's a philosophical question. Oh, no, it's more. It becomes answered on the pavement of life every day, whether I think it's the Word of God or it just contains some words. How do I know it contains some words and it isn't the Word of God? I very conveniently choose to ignore the ones that deal with me and quote the ones I like. Amen? Amen.